0: Progressive Rugby League. G'day all, John o. Duncan. The Toronto Wolfpack, one of the most ambitious undertakings in recent sporting history. A seductive concept for some, guilty, an existential threat for others, the Wolfpack have shaken up the British Rugby League landscape and fans and detractors alike have watched on breathless. Regular listeners will know that this podcast has followed the Wolfpack closely in the three years of our existence. I mean, they put the Canadian in our French-Canadian Rugby League update. They made us want to sing.
1: Rugby the, Rugby the, Rugby the teams.
0: and all the way through it has been one wild freaking ride. We cheered as they strode towards Super League promotion. We ached when it didn't come off first time around. We looked on in awe as their crowd swelled. We shuffled awkwardly when we read of strange business practices. We partied when they won the million-pound game at second attempt. We wondered when we heard of late player payments. We lauded when Sonny Bill signed. We grimaced when they lost their first six Super League games. It was a crazy enough existence in normal times. Then, COVID-19 hit. And as we all know by now, the Toronto Wolfpack of 2020 is no longer. So many questions linger, not least, will they ever return? Or will they be a curiosity for future train-spotting fans of the game? You're telling me there was once a Canadian team in Super League? The Toronto Wolfpack, the team, the concept, has divided UK Rugby League. It has become Rugby League's manifestation of the culture wars. It has been so much more than a question of one team's progress. It has become a symbol of the battle for the game's very future. And all the while, thousands of Canadians, who somehow stumbled onto this strange but intriguing pastime and have taken Rugby League to their hearts, just want their team to come home one day. How has it come to this? Can anything be retrieved from the ruins? What is the feeling like in downtown Toronto? These questions and more I intend to post to Brian Teal. Brian is a Canadian broadcaster and reporter who has covered the Wolfpack closely in recent years and has been my go-to guy when I've been seeking information on Wolfpack matches at Grand Old Lamport Stadium. His live updates, post-match reporting and in-depth analysis through his Defend the Den blog have been just the tonic for people like me who could just not get enough of this strange exotic creature that we call the Toronto Wolfpack. Brian, good day and welcome to the Progressive Rugby League podcast.
2: Thank you. It's awesome to be here.
0: Wonderful. Now, Brian, did the Toronto withdrawal from Super League in 2020 come as a shock to you or were you expecting something like this as the odds kept stacking up against them?
2: I think initially, yeah, it was a pretty big shock because I had been in pretty close contact with Bob Hunter, Probably calling him every couple of weeks just to, you know, check in and see what's going on because Bob Hunt is the uh, the
0: chairman and CEO of Wolfpack, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. He was appointed late last year and so he's taken over and he lives here in Toronto. So Mm -hmm. he's got a very local presence and it kind of grounds them on both sides of the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And so in my conversations with him, nothing like this. I mean, I never thought to ask about it, but there was never any hints, there was never any wonder about whether or not. They would come back. And then when you look at everything that's kind of come out since. And you listen to what they were talking about. It does sort of make sense. And Mm. I guess the biggest thing and the thing that everybody comes back to is cost. And I know the cost for COVID-19 testing, it's astronomical. I think it was estimated, I mean, this is off the top of my head, but I think it was around 3,000 pounds per week, Mm. which is a significant sum, especially when you're looking at a team that's, you know, any team in Super League, they don't have a gate, they don't have anything right Mm. now. And that's all coming out of pocket. And so you put things together. The visa issue is another thing that has come up in the past and never really occurred to me. As someone that's never had a work visa, I've never been under that kind of deadline. And you you don't think about something like Mm -hmm. that. And so when you look back at it, all the signs are kind of there. But it's still definitely, it came as a shock. And and the day that it was announced, uh, you kind of go into overdrive mode and figure out, like, who am I going to ask the questions to? Who do I have to call? Like, Mm. let's find out about this because you are kind of blindsided by it even though the leaks kind of started happening over the weekend
0: Mm. and we'll get into more detail about how it all unfolded shortly but it's important to note that the Wolfpack received no government assistance unlike all the UK and French rugby league clubs many of whom would have been in big trouble too if not for that assistance was financial assistance from the Canadian government ever sought or was it not possible due to the fact that much of their operation namely the players were stationed in the UK
2: So they tried to do that. What Bob had told me a couple of times was that with all the different programs set up for financial assistance right now in Canada, he had basically spent weeks combing over them, going back over them, Mm -hmm. and trying to find something that fit. But every time he found something, there was something that kind of... Uh, for lack of a better term, disqualified the team from it. Right. And they, they just didn't have anything that would line up with what was necessary. And it, you look at it now, and there's we have a professional football league in Canada, the, the Canadian Football League, the CFL. Mm-hmm. And they've been around for a really long time. If you were to compare it to something, it would be comparable to the RFL. Right. And so the RFL got government bailout money mm-hmm. uh, to, to help their clubs. The CFL applied for the same thing here in Canada and they didn't get it. Oh, wow. And yeah, the Canadian government specifically said that it's for its amateur sports. It's not for professional sports. So that was after everything that happened with the Wolfpack. But
0: mm-hmm.
2: whether or not they had climbed the ladder through provincial, federal levels or not, it doesn't seem like there was going to be any sort of bailout coming from the
0: government. I see, I see. Now, Brian, we'll get to prospects for 2021 shortly, but where does the club stand as we speak are any playing contracts legally binding or are the Wolfpack a club without players at the moment?
2: So that's, it kind of depends on what you look at as legally binding, I guess, because it's such a a strange thing. And in North American sports, we deal a lot with, there's obviously like buyouts and things like that with contracts, but most of them are pretty, you know, ironclad. And Mm. so especially with them. I mean, this kind of goes back in the Wolfpack's history a little bit, but there's been a lot of player movement. Like, all of a sudden, guys are just off contract. And that's been something, off a side tangent a little bit, that's been something that I've had to get accustomed to mm-hmm. watching in terms of player movement because there's a lot more to keep up with. Mm-hmm. It's not just two years, your contract's done. Somebody could be, you know, they're out on loan the next week. Mm-hmm. And, and then that might be the last time that they're with the club. So my understanding of the situation is that players are allowed to seek out other contracts this year, which, and I may be wrong on this, but is technically a breach of their contracts already, but no one will go against it because obviously they're allowing them to play when the alternative is that they're not playing. Mm -hmm. So then it comes to next year, and I think the situation that they're looking at is the team intends to play next year, Mm -hmm. but also because of this, there's people that this will sit okay with, I guess I don't want to say well, because no one really enjoys what's going on but there's people that are fine with what's happening and then there's the people that it reflects poorly on and it it might be a matter of pride for some so i think the option is there for players to seek out alternatives
0: essentially kind of like a, a loan situation where you loan them out for the rest of the 2020 season and bring them back for 2021 if they're back into the competition
2: yeah exactly and i think both parties have to want each other Mm -hmm. because I think they would be willing if a player comes to them and says, you know what? I don't want to be here in 2021 based on what happened in 2020 Mm-hmm. I think they would be willing to let him walk, mm-hmm. but I might be wrong on that. It, it's so murky right now, but yeah. the perfect example actually is is Sonny Bill Williams. Of course. Because now I think it's it's Roosters he's in negotiation with, right?
0: That's right, yeah.
2: So if you look at that, there was kind of a misleading headline. He's not off contract. Mm. He's off contract for this season, but the expectation is that he, at this point, would be back with the team in 2021.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, a lot of water to go under the bridge before that. But obviously, Brian, the pandemic presented barriers that became impossible to overcome in 2020. No games in Canada, no revenue, blowout in costs. Visa issues, like you said, they were already complicated, made even more complex. For a club that is presented from day one as a self-sufficient disruptor, a club that did things differently, their own way, their own style... Did they leave it too late to seek help from the RFL and Super League? They sought a small last-minute loan from the Super League clubs, which was rejected. But was that too late, especially when other clubs were trying to finalise their own smashed finances for the start of a truncated 2020 season?
2: I don't think they left it too late financially. I think where they left it too late was with the visas for living and working in the UK. The finances, I mean, they approached for the stipend given to the RFL and Super League. They wanted to be a part of that money. But, you know, you look at what happened. That wasn't going to French clubs and that wasn't going to the Canadian side. Mm -hmm. So they asked about that. And then, you know, things kind of seemed to fall apart financially after that Mm. the visas it kind of surprises me that it did get to that point where it almost seems like all of a sudden there was a realization that okay these guys are on month six and they only have six months (laughs) they haven't used three of those months three of those months have been just in isolation with their families Mm and I don't know where that falls. I don't know if that comes from the very top with David Argyle, or if it comes from the Canadian side, or if you look at everybody stationed in the UK and and whose responsibility that is.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, it's been an issue for quite a while though, hasn't it? There's been issues with Wolfpack player visas, and I think Darcy Lussick might have been one last year where he wasn't sure if he could get into the UK. So, It's been an issue for a while, so yeah, it's a bit unclear about whose responsibility was to get that sorted. Was there a better alternative when it comes to visas? I'm not exactly sure how these things work.
2: My understanding of it is that because the club is based in Canada, as opposed to all the other clubs Mm. in the RFL and Super League, all of those players are on different visas for them. They're allowed to be there, Mm. but because it's a Canadian club playing... In the UK there I believe it's called it's a holiday visa or something mm-hmm. along those lines I've only seen this I've never gotten confirmation on this because it is something that kind of winds around but mm-hmm. my understanding is that it's a six-month visa that does allow them to but what happened with Darcy Lusick is he goes to the border and then he says I think it was reported at the time if I remember correctly that he said the wrong thing right. and that whoever was working the border that day looked at it and said well okay what you're saying doesn't match up with what we on paper here and i think that's the reason why he was i see. he had to come home mm-hmm. i think so and that's another thing again like you when it's something you've never concerned yourself with mm-hmm. it, it's a crazy thing to kind of you know wrap your head around
0: yeah well obviously it's it's all the more complicated when you're running an operation across uh two continents i suppose but yeah you, you would think that there has to have been a better way so brian it seems that the wolf packs return in 2021 is dependent on a super league slash the rfl wanting them back and B, the Wolfpack receiving a guaranteed equal slice of central funding, just like any other club. Now, David Argyle, Wolfpack owner, and Bob Hunter, Wolfpack chairman and CEO, have apparently presented to Super League to convince them to take the Wolfpack back in 2021. What is your rating on whether either of these things are possible?
2: I had a very brief conversation with Bob Hunter the day of that meeting. Mm-hmm. And I just asked him how it went. Did it go well? The answer to that question was yes. And then the follow-up was just a very quick, is there any indication or is that something we have to wait on? Mm-hmm. And he just said, it's it's too early to tell. When you kind of look at it, I think, and maybe part of it for me is, is a hope that the way that the Super League clubs and the RFL look at the Wolfpack is different than what you get on social media because there's a lot of visceral on there. Mm. There's a lot of people that follow that league that cheer for different clubs that do not want that team back. They see it as a deterrent. Mm-hmm. And I would like to think that clubs who are they want more attention on the league, they want more publicity, they want something fun going on. They, you know, they want to move forward. There's a lot of positive things that the Wolfpack offer, and have they gone about it the best way? Especially considering this year. Sure, there's a lot of outside factors, but no, it's this isn't ideal.
1: Mm. This
2: is a big mark against them, and obviously, it kind of casts doubt on the whole operation. Mm. I would like to think that super league and the rfl do at some level want them back i think the biggest detriment in that is that the super league clubs haven't experienced playing in canada Mm -hmm. if you listen to the championship and the league one sides all of them That have come over, I mean, there's some grumbling about the plane ride, but after that, they all really enjoy it. They all enjoy the atmosphere. And I mean, obviously, in the Super League, you don't have this kind of opportunity, but other teams will take a couple extra days and maybe drive down to Niagara Falls and see a couple of the sites. It's an experience that you wouldn't get otherwise. Mm -hmm. Those teams can vouch for it, whereas teams in the Super League outside of the Super Eights in 2018, Mm -hmm. no one's experienced that. Yeah, And then you look at the other side of it and this team, they said they wanted to be self-sufficient. They said, okay, fine. You're not going to give us sky money. We'll be fine. We're going to go and make our own way. This is the agreement that you want to give us. We'll renegotiate in three years when they, they obviously became a a team that renegotiation, I think was supposed to happen this year and then obviously got pushed back. Mm -hmm. So does it hurt them that they said, no, we'll be self-starters and we're going to handle this on our own and push forward on our own and we'll show you? I, that's the thing I don't know.
0: You make a good point. That They've brought a lot to the game and TV coverage for a lot of these clubs, especially in the lower tiers, that they wouldn't have got otherwise as well. So a lot of positive things. I suppose the other side of things, Brian, and where it gets really quite tricky is that there are no guarantees that international travel will be any easier than it is now anytime soon. I mean, we're almost at August now, and the year is getting away, and before you know it, it'll be time for the start of the 2021 season, and second waves are are pretty common in pandemics, so I suppose that's another massive elephant in the room that I suppose we don't really want to consider too much, because we're all hoping against hope that we, as a globe, there will be a clean transition from a world in crisis to a world back to normal. Uh, I hope it works out that way, but yeah, I'm not so sure.
2: Well, and, and here's the other thing, you bring that up, but I hadn't thought about that That's a completely foreign thought to me is that I had been so wrapped up in the here and now of this that, you know, you say that and okay, you know, what does international travel look like? Because, you know, that was one of the reasons why I was in constant communication and had biweekly interviews with Bob Hunter was because I wanted to know, okay, like, I know what the country looks like from the inside. From living here in Canada and in Toronto, I know what this looks like on the inside. Mm. It never looked good. But what are the options here? Yeah. And it never got to a point where it was like it was hard. Like everybody knows what's going on. And mm. and it was kind of one of those things you look down and it's a pipe dream. But until they officially said it, you didn't know if it was completely off the table. But yeah. one of the biggest drawbacks is that for teams coming over, and I kind of repeated this a couple times so people would get it. Because it was reiterated to me as well in the the people that I talked to. But you play one game a week and then you play the next week. But if you travel internationally, you have to go on a two-week quarantine. Yeah. So when you get into the country, you can't play that game, let's say, two days later. And then what happens to next week's match? Because then you have to go back to your country if you were allowed, let's say, to fly internationally after entering the country for four days then you fly back. Do you have to do a two week quarantine when you go back? I mean, that depends on the UK's guidelines, but there's so many things that we don't know that it's an excellent point. Like you look at 2021 and maybe that's not the same. And maybe this team doesn't play. If they're back next year, they don't play a home game for two years. And and what does that do to them?
0: Exactly. So (laughs) many unanswered questions. And I mean, it's all speculation at this stage because the world is changing so rapidly. Look, Brian, The pandemic made things impossible for this season, but there have been plenty of stories around the Wolfpack about unfortunate business practices, late player payments, non-payment of bills to suppliers. What was your sense of things from the Canadian side of the operation? Because it's, of course, as you say, a transatlantic organisation with staff in Toronto and the UK. Did it feel like a professional outfit or an organisation that, despite best intentions, was kind of flying by the seat of its pants?
2: I would say a little bit of both and i don't think that's speaking out of line because there's a documentary uh, produced by the guys over at uh, rugby am and it was about the toronto wolf pack and it was about their first couple of years mm-hmm. and i can't remember who said it it was your e eric perez or brian noble but they're like a duck and you're going along and everything's fine above the water graceful just looking around just kind of checking everything out Yeah. and beneath the surface those feet are going And, you know, it's kind of a, it's an old and tired cliche, but for them, it was true. They did a lot of things that people don't want to give them credit for, but it's undertakings that a professional club would do Mm i mean in 2017 and 2018 they partnered with a canadian broadcaster they had their broadcasts you know stationed out of toronto when they had their home games in 2019 they brought sky in and they said okay like you're going to broadcast our matches you're going to broadcast the championship and so they would send their clean feedback and then sky would dress it back up in the uk Mm -hmm. so you look at things that they do like that and, you know, you make a signing like Sonny Bill and he's not going to come to just anybody. He's not just going to say, oh, okay, like, I'm just going to go over to Canada for a couple of years just for kicks. Yeah. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to do his homework and he's going to know what's up. And so I think they did have the best intentions, but I think there's a lot of things that they did end up, you know, learning on the fly.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've described in the past the Wolfpack as a rugby league startup and I've worked for startups they're chaotic, they're a bit all over the place. Often it feels like you're making it up as you go along, but they're also exhilarating places whose hearts are generally in the right place, and eventually, hopefully, they find a way, even if the process is a bit ugly. And of course, we hope that's the case for the Wolfpack, but it kind of looks a little grim today. Now, Brian, you've dealt with many people who work at the club in Toronto, the off-field staff, the game day staff, and they do a great game day experience. They seem like a really committed, positive bunch from the outside, what are they like and how are they dealing with this situation? Obviously we hear about the players' predicament, but the off field staff are obviously going through just as much, if not more.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of great people. For some of them, it's not full time work, it is seasonal work. Like a lot of us that have seasonal work, I mean you're you're stuck in this situation, right? Because there was no seasonal work to
1: have. Mm, yeah.
2: I've had a lot of friends, not just with the team, but in other leagues as well, where this is just random muck on everything and You know, people are out of work. They're kind of on, we call it EI up here, employment insurance. Mm -hmm. And they've just had to find different ways to cope. And I know for a couple of people with the team, I'm not sure of the numbers. That was something that I never, I didn't like digging too much into because it's such a sensitive time. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of employees. I think most of them on the Canadian side were laid off and allowed to seek out different revenue streams from the government. And most of that... I didn't kind of look for information on what their process was. I just kind of, you know, I I sent a couple messages out just to check in with people and make sure they were doing all right. Mm. And so I know that this is when you're around something for so long and then you're not around it and you hear something like this, like it's obviously, you know, it's an unnerving time for a lot of those people Yeah. because uh, I don't know, and I can't say whether or not they've gotten the answers to the questions that they want to ask. I don't even even know if they've gotten to ask those questions. I know that, they were doing as best they can, but I'm sure that this announcement probably comes as a shock to them because they're half a world away.
0: Yeah. Now, Brian, how are the Toronto sports fans taking to the news? Has it even made the sports pages in Toronto?
2: It has. So the, the Wolfpack kind of... <laughs> very complex relationship with canadian media right. there's a couple of us that you know follow it closely and obviously when i say this i've used this to describe it before and i don't think it's disrespectful in any manner but it's still a very niche sport mm-hmm. over here in canada and toronto and as it gains traction obviously it's taken on i mean the numbers that you you guys see aren't fake they average eight thousand fans a game they top out that also doesn't count the beer guard which mm-hmm. is you know pretty sufficiently full if you look at either end and there's people you know rammed in there that's not part of the seat count so the fans are all real there's no cardboard cutouts like (laughs) people like to think the facebook groups where the really dedicated fans are they they get defensive about it because Mm. it's a heartbreaking time for them i mean a lot of them were there last year during the comeback against featherstone in the the million pound game Mm. and that was their victory a year of heartbreak followed up by this and now it's another year of heartbreak that you know, you're not just playing in the championship again next year. You're wondering if they're going to be playing at all or ever again. Or, you know, is this the last time you've seen some of these guys? And it's it's hard. And that's, I think, where you see the divisiveness on social media is because mm-hmm. they're always getting attacked. So they have to lash back out at that. And it's kind of like, you know, just sticking their fingers in the, the wound and twisting it.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, while you're on that note, Brian, I was going to ask how you and fellow Wolfpack fans feel about the stir that you guys have, caused in the uk game not just through these dramas but in general there's a lot of passionate views on both sides of the coin that must be quite puzzling for toronto fans about why it's so vitriolic
2: so coming from a north american perspective on sports we don't always love expansion teams like sometimes we look at markets and we don't quite get it Mm -hmm. but we're always willing to say you know what cool if they want to pay the expansion fee join the league and you know, we'll see where they're at in a couple of years. Like, who cares? It's just kind of a, it's not an out of sight, out of mind thing. But we just, we look at it and we're like, okay, cool. Like another team. And then we just go about our day. There's no one, like, there's nothing that could really form that kind of divide mm. until a market proves that it doesn't work. And so now there are people that are, they look at some baseball teams in Florida or hockey teams in Florida. And they're like, well, why are they there? Like, here's a Canadian market they can move it up to. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, those teams have been there for 20 plus years and they've proved that it hasn't worked. This is something where, you know, these people are cheering for a team that's been around for three years. Mm -hmm. And each one of those three years, there's someone on Twitter telling them this isn't going to work. We don't want you here so really they have no other option but to get defensive about it and ask without using the words they do why are you doing this why are you like that and then they have to go back so it's a really foreign concept to a lot of people in north america and i don't think it's it's welcome because it's a pretty harsh reality and Mm. on the other side of it i understand why people are protective of the sport and why they maybe wouldn't want a flashy canadian outfit coming in and obviously all these things happen and all these rumors start coming out and you know it's yeah. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't make it attractive so the, there is two sides to it i get it and i, I think the biggest thing is that people kind of look at it they're like why can't they just see if the wolf pack work why do they have to just assume they're not going to work off the hop
0: yeah i think a couple of things on that from my end i think yes the social media or social media in general can be a bit of a I don't necessarily think it's reflective of the total rugby league community. I think there's a lot of people who are in favour of the Wolfpack, but yes, social media can really amplify uh, sentiment and it can come off as much more negative than it might be. Uh, The other thing to me from afar, the Wolfpack and the reaction to the Wolfpack over the last couple of years, and let's park their unfortunate business practices for one moment, has been a, a manifestation of the broader culture wars. There's been... There's always been divides in society, but social media silos and saturation has entrenched and widened them. And the big divides of the current age, I suppose, are kind of cosmopolitan or globalist versus parochial or nationalist, as well as urban versus regional and rural. And these divides are really large in UK rugby league and particularly in the arguments around the Toronto Wolfpack. You know, around the world, as you'd know, Brian, people and many in regional areas have pushed back against... Uh, people they consider you know cosmopolitan elites people who they think look down on them and talk down to them and that's manifested in in brexit trump and you can see it all over the western world they don't like being told what's good for them and they definitely don't like the tone they feel they cop and that's kind of what i see in the uk rugby league which is largely a, a regional game not really part of the fabric of the big cities in the uk There's a huge number of people behind the Wolfpack, you and me and and millions of others, but there's also a huge pushback against not only the idea of expansion and the loss of a sense of ownership of the game, but also the way that I suppose they feel it's been foisted on them. Yeah, like I say, it must be strange for Canadians to be caught up in the middle of all that, but I do think there is an element of that kind of cosmopolitan globalist versus parochial element and also urban versus rural-regional divide, which Toronto Wolfpack sort of represent you know cosmopolitan big city and, and the uk rugby league historically is is quite the other side
2: yeah and i've kind of had the fortune to not really piss anybody off i guess uh, <laughs> i mean i get along with a lot of people that i end up talking to on twitter and i haven't gotten into any beefs i mean i pretty much i either de-escalate or i don't respond sure. if i don't like something that i read which is you know sometimes it's a little harder to do than
0: not <laughs> Smart uh, me,
2: that's one of the things that I learned. So in I think it was last year, that was when it really, the kind of relationship and the, the hot and coldness of, of social media and all of this in, in rugby league kind of struck me. So I asked a couple of people about it and no one's really stepped back and explained it to a lot of the people on, on either side of it. So, I, I mean, I'm fortunate in that regard because I, I get to talk to people that not everyone gets to. And they said exactly the same thing is that it's such a prideful and, and regionalized sport. And what these teams represent to these these communities to have okay like a, a city like Toronto that has millions of people in it mm. and all of a sudden you're like okay like we're joining this league we're in. Well, I can see how that would, you know, how there's people that are like we've been in this league for decades. Mm. Like you're just going to buy your way in and you're just going to buy your way to the top, which is, you know, obviously the perception of it. So like I get that when I see the people kind of lash out and, and attack and say, "Oh, well like you don't belong here because they've had years to build up the culture of their clubs and, and you know, earn their spot. And, and this has been ingrained in them. So they feel it's, I guess, for lack of a better term, they feel like it's their right to protect it. And I guess that's why for some people, expansion doesn't work.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really quite fascinating to me, the whole thing. Now, Brian, talking about your conversations with Bob Hunter, chairman and CEO of the Wolfpack, he mentioned in his interview with you that David Argyle was waiting on a transaction to go through with external investment partners to be able to fund player and staff payments for June, but that transaction was delayed and thus the delayed payments. And I'm not sure if they've been paid yet, actually. And it seemed to me from the interview that it was a similar situation for different missed payments over the past several months. Is there any transparency around what these transactions are about? What kind of transactions are being made? Is it something to do with commodity markets? I understand David Argyle is in mining, according to. Bloomberg he's the CEO of Brazil Potash Corporation which is wanting to mine Potash in a remote part of the Amazon and I understand there's a dispute with the indigenous people in that region do we have any idea about his financial situation and why certain transactions are required to get staff paid?
2: I'm Not sure on that one. And that's something when I look back on that, I kind of wish I asked for a little more clarity of because I'm not positive if it's a transaction that he's doing or if, especially with everything that's kind of come out lately, if he was seeking another investor to bring on board. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that admittedly, you know, looking back on it, I do kind of wish I followed up on not knowing the financial world. I don't know how much information I would have gotten and how much that's private. Hmm. I do know that the people that I've talked to, there isn't a concern about his ability to finance the club. The way the picture is painted to me though, is it's 30 million Canadian that he's sunk into this. And there've been a lot of costs. And then you look at this year, you know, in years past, you could argue that he's making money back. It's a long-term investment. Hmm. And then you, you look at this season with no games in Toronto and having to pay for the testing and everything else. And it's kind of a sunk cost. Mm. I would never sit here and and tell anybody how to spend their money, no matter how much money they have, because it's not my place. So I can definitely see when I step back and look at it, it's not something that he took lightly making this decision. And it's also not my place, you know, just tell someone, just because they have a lot of money to keep sinking money into something that isn't going anywhere this year.
0: Mm. I suppose the, the flip side of that coin is when there's staff and, and players not being paid. It's just a bit concerning, a bit confusing, I suppose, as to what is the roadblock to getting them paid. I suppose that's... Yeah,
2: that. and with that, I 100% agree. So to be clear, what I was kind of talking about in the previous answer was just, you know, his decision to kind of scrap the season. Sure. Um, yep. There is no question in my mind, people should be paid. If yeah. you're doing a job and the expectation is to be paid, then you have to figure out a way. Yeah. And so in my mind, the late payments are inexcusable, players and staff. And so I don't know with that. Like, obviously, he has the means to be able to do that because everybody's going to be paid to the end of the year. Mm-hmm. The I know John Wilkin did an interview where he mentioned liquidating assets.
0: Right. So that and can so take time, not, obviously.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing is if one of those... I guess doesn't go through and I can only imagine it's a longer process especially with you know the kind of money at stake in those yeah. uh, it would take longer and again that's I mean there's a reason I'm not in finance so I have no idea on that front.
0: <laughs> yeah, I um, mean obviously when you're liquidating assets to to pay wages it, it's serious and it yeah maybe it takes uh-huh. takes time but like yourself I'm not a financial expert. Now Brian let's let's take a step back a bit and take a breath because it's a lot of heavy stuff we're talking about. I want to know, Ryan, how did you come across Rugby League and how did you get into following the Wolfpack?
2: So, that happened completely by accident. So, I, um, for a long time here in Canada, we obviously, you know, in North America, there's the National Hockey League, the NHL, Mm -hmm. and one of the leagues that kind of feeds into that is called the Ontario Hockey League. Now, this is going to be a long story, but it is going somewhere, I promise. (laughs) Okay. And so, I used to do a lot of broadcasting there and... One of my friends from that league was one of my producers. He left and he he took on some other adventures, you could say. And then one day in June of 2018, he calls me up and he says, you're going to get a phone call and you're going to tell them all the rugby you've ever done for me, which was so we have Canada's predominantly rugby union. Mm-hmm. So my experience and knowledge of rugby league was zero. <laughs> and so he says, you're going to tell them, you know, rugby, you're going to study rugby league. And I need you to be a part of the broadcast because they were shorthanded. Right. So I said, okay, sure. I thought I was just going to do a couple of interviews. And then I got the call Friday, match days or Saturday. And he goes, are you comfortable enough to call it? So my first <laughs> experience with Rugby League was up in the booth with Brian Noble calling a match <laughs> where I had watched, you know, I, I had gone on YouTube and I would watched as many matches as I could. So I understood, you know, the differences between Union and League. Mm-hmm. Thanks to social media, I knew that rugby union and league were different and that you didn't want to get them confused. (laughs) So I knew what I was looking at, but yeah, I just, it was just a phone call that I, I kind of stumbled into so I stuck around. So I got to call the remainder of the matches in the 2018 regular season. Right. Sky needed a, I was on site for Sky for the Super 8s. Mm-hmm. So I would do, I was never on camera. I was basically a pool reporter. Mm-hmm. And so I would send interviews back down the line at halftime and uh, at the end of the match that, you know, they would use if they needed to fill. Cool. And then they made some, obviously there were some changes and they were calling them from the UK last year. Mm. That's kind of how I ended up starting Defend the Den was because All right. i liked it the sport's great i love it there's yeah. honestly there's nothing better than going down to lamport on a saturday mm. if this is 20 years ago and i couldn't have started a blog and i couldn't have emailed somebody and asked for a job to do it then i would have been buying tickets and i, I would have been down there as a fan because the sport itself is great yeah and i think they need to do a better job of marketing the athletes mm. because there's such for the level of game that they play and the level of interaction that they have with the fans there's really nothing matched to it in North America. Mm. I think the thing that people miss is that there's such a disconnect between fans and athletes here because they're so glorified mm-hmm. that there's also like a very down-to-earth level with that. So that's another reason why you know I'm kind of drawn to that is because the personal aspect of it, very mm. personal, everyone goes around and, and there's so much interaction from that front.
0: Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Brian, how you would describe the atmosphere of a Wolfpack game compared to other sports you would attend in toronto obviously you talk about that interaction with players but what else is different compared to other major sports in toronto
2: it is massively different and i agree with this train of thought but there's a very big train (laughs) of thought surrounding sports in toronto where they're kind of stuffy it's a lot of you know sports or something that guys in suits go to after work because the tickets are so expensive here you know Mm -hmm. they get the best seats so conceivably they're Obviously, the closest to the action. And if they wanted to cheer as loud as they wanted, then they would be the voices that people heard. But as you get kind of up into the major sports here, obviously, they become things you want to be seen at. So there's a big middle class and down. They kind of look at sports here and they're like, oh, it's it's hard to get into. And then you're far back. The passion is still there when Mm. you go to events. But there is a disconnect from where you kind of end up sitting. Mm -hmm. And with things like TFC and Toronto Wolfpack, they're affordable. They're available. Mm-hmm. You can go. The crowds are loud. If you were walking around downtown Toronto and didn't know what was going on at Lamport on a Saturday, you would have to walk over and find out. And yeah. you'd be peering through a fence and trying to figure out why there's seven, 8,000 people yelling about what you would call just rugby. Yeah. Uh, because you would have no idea what it is. And then you go into the crowd and people are explaining rugby league to each other. And I mean, it's not always. I mean, i probably said some things that are wrong too. So not all of the explanations are always right because everybody's learning on the fly because we never had this in Canada.
0: But it sounds like a great community down at Lamport where, you know, like you say, people are trying to explain things to other people and sort of getting along. It's a kind of casual atmosphere compared to sort of, like you say, the stuffy corporate type of atmosphere that you get at the big sports, I suppose.
2: Yeah, exactly. There are two things that I love about it. And the first one is that it's just like one kind of event from last year and we were in the media booth Mm. and there was a guy sitting two rows ahead of us and everybody started booing the ref and he just quietly turned around to us and he looks at us he's like i don't think people know what they're booing but i like it (laughs) and that's the thing is that you know maybe they don't they don't know the appropriate time to boo yet because they're still learning a sport but there's so much passion there that you know the ref blew his whistle something happened okay let's be mad Like the Wolfpack don't have the ball. They're not starting with it, so something bad happens
0: to our side. (laughs) Yeah, you can sense it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing is that it's not as much as in between the whistles they're cheering against the other team. Mm -hmm. Outside of it, they love the opposing team. So the Wolfpack will circle Lamport after every game Mm -hmm. in Toronto. And the opposing team, whoever flew in that week, can do the same thing. And it's not just their fans. All the Wolfpack fans will congratulate them, too. So for that 80 minutes, they're the worst people in the world to them. Once that whistle goes, if they show up in the beer garden, they'll buy them beer. They'll want to take a picture with them. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a Toronto player or a Featherstone player or a Lee player. You know, you go up to Super League and, you know, leads. Like, it doesn't matter. They want to know these players because they have the opportunity to interact with them on a level that they don't have with all the other corporate sports.
0: And I suppose on a related note, did you sense the Wolfpack was gaining a genuine foothold in the sporting landscape in Toronto? Obviously, it's still at a very fledgling, fragile stage, but was there growth there?
2: Yeah, there's definitely growth there. I mean, you look at where they started, and there's been fairly consistent growth each of the three years because you look at 2018, I think the crowds started early in the season around six, and then. By the million pound game that year against London, they were able to get nine. Now, before that, pretty consistently in kind of like the low 8,000s. But you look at that and you go from six to eight. Mm-hmm. that's pretty significant growth. Last year, I think they were fairly consistently in the 8,000 number, if not it was always it was high 7s and then kind of mid 8s mm-hmm. and then obviously the two outliers were the season opener and the million pound game against Featherstone. Mm-hmm. And so, if you just look at it from a pure attendance standpoint, then you definitely have the growth there, but you can see it online. There's people that are constantly talking about it. And that's the fun thing about the time we live in. I know we were kind of talking about how bad it can be. But you see how many people are talking about it now when before it would just be word of mouth. But you've kind of been able to see, you know, how stuff like that grows and how people want more coverage and more information about the team and how it's like a serious interest point for them. Mm. So yeah, it's definitely grown. It's unfortunate that all this happened this year because it really halted a lot of momentum. Even without them withdrawing this year, you look at the fact that they weren't going to play any games in Canada after Mm. signing Sonny Bill. Like that was a big thing. Yeah, that really got in the papers over here, and they were building towards that, and that was their big momentum push. Mm. You know, whether or not they had won a game before coming over to Canada, there were going to be people in the first game at Lamport celebrating that team and wanting to see Sunny Bill. Mm.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's just been shocking timing. Now we're running out of time, Brian. But before we finish up, what are the next steps? Do you have any sense of the timelines for when decisions may be made? for the 2021 season.
2: I have been told that that should come at some point early next week.
0: So I should say that we're talking at the moment, it's the 25th of July here in Sydney, Australia, and it's the 24th in Toronto, you're living the past, but yes, we are talking the twenty fourth, twenty fifth of July at the moment. Yes, so early next week, uh, late July. Yeah, so yeah.
2: my, I was never given a date, but the way my brain works, I would go off of the business week. So I would assume that you know July twenty seventh or July twenty eighth, the latest. But mm-hmm. I would assume it would be more the twenty seventh unless something comes out on the Sunday. But assuming a Monday to Friday, I would go with the Monday.
0: Yeah, and. My last question for you, Brian, is is a more personal one. How how will you feel and how will fans in Toronto feel if the Toronto Wolfpack never return? I feel I've come to know a few Toronto Wolfpack fans through this podcast, and gee, they're really passionate, they're really positive, and they've just been an ornament to the game, and I know they'd be absolutely shattered. Yeah, how would that feel for you and and those fans?
2: I think it would be a really raw feeling. I, I think it would just be something that really cuts deep. Because normally there's warning signs. Like if your team moves, if your team folds, there's warning signs. And sure, like you know, there have been rumors the last couple of years, but I don't know. And granted, my knowledge is pretty much limited to the major sports here in North America. But I, I can't think of a time when, you know, obviously we've never had a pandemic, but a team folded up shop in the middle of a season, mm. never played a home game and said, OK, bye. Yeah. So there would be a very big feeling of incompletion there. And I think it would kinda of leave a hole in a lot of people and it would kinda of stun them. I'm sure, you know, eventually they would get over it, but I don't I don't know Super League and Rugby League would lose a lot of eyes in the process because I don't think people would go back to it because, you know, for us, it's we watch Premier League soccer over here and that's at 9 a.m. So you get up and you go to a pub. But, you know, people are connected to that. People have seen that for years. Mm. You know, if if this doesn't happen, if they don't come back in 2021, no one's going to a pub to watch Super League. Mm. No one's going to watch Rugby League in Canada anymore. And if they do, it'll it'll be a very secluded part of the population. So, you know, it would be, I don't want to say it would be a massive hole because obviously Canada is new to the game, but it would definitely be something that people miss.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, I for one, Brian would be deeply saddened if we never see the Wolfpack again. Of course, the Ottawa Aces start up in 2021, hopefully, and you wonder what impact this might have on them, but... Despite all the the Wolfpack's flaws, and there have been many, the Wolfpack have achieved a hell of a lot. Thousands and thousands of passionate, positive, brand new rugby league fans from a North American market that, until recently, was considered an impossibility for rugby league to not only crack, but to even dent and to even scratch. So while rugby league participation has spread around the world, somewhat in recent decades, with more countries playing the game, and while there's been fabulous growth in the Pacific, rugby league's popularity in terms of how many people are actually spending money to consume rugby league is basically stagnated for decades. I was born in the 80s, Brian, and back then in Australia, rugby league dominated in New South Wales and Queensland, and that was basically it. And in 2020, that's still basically the case. In fact, New South Wales and Queensland are probably more diluted markets than they were back then, now that the the AFL has a small foothold. I'm not an expert in the UK game, but I don't think anyone seriously thinks rugby league has grown in any way since the 80s. And UK, you know, God love it, might be The epitome of stagnation in France, once again, I'm no expert, but I haven't heard anyone suggest the game has gone anyway but backwards in popularity since the 80s. In New Zealand, is it more popular than it was in the 80s? It really depends on how the worries are going. So in the four biggest rugby league markets, there's been basically zero net growth in popularity. The boom in TV revenues for all pro sports and the growth and monetization of state of origin have probably masked this fact the game is not any more popular than it was 40 years ago around the world in fact it might be less so so and now through the wolf pack we finally have brand new fans incremental growth from north america finally and they seem to like it too and to see that loss would be just um so sad
2: Yeah, definitely. I will circle back one more time. Mm. Uh, It's been very Wolfpack-centric the past couple of days. So I did forget the Ottawa Aces. So there would still be eyes, obviously, on Rugby League. I don't think Mm. Ottawa would turn away from them. But are you going to have people gravitate that direction as strongly as as they might have or cheer for both if Mm. this sour taste is in their mouth? But obviously there would still be a foothold there, and then all of the attention turns to them. The pressure then falls to Ottawa.
0: Yeah yeah okay Brian it's out of our hands it's out of your hands it's out of mine but I'm glad your hands will be filing reports and providing updates for us all on the ongoing saga that is the Toronto Wolfpack we wish the Wolfpack well we wish their fans well and Brian we wish you well so Brian Teal go well and thanks for joining the Progressive Rugby League podcast
2: you as well thanks for having me Progressive Rugby League.
0: Goodness gracious me, what a lightning rod the Wolfpack have been. Our fingers are crossed for a miracle. Folks, it has been great to be back in your ear holes again. Feel free to keep in touch via Twitter at prog rugby league or on email via ProgressiveRL at Outlook.com. Thank you, thank you, a million times thank you, and until we next meet, allow me to say Rugby League And see ya. Rugby the Rugby the
1: Rugby thug.